Attention shoppers, there are a wide variety of Crossrip items available in the gift shop. Sweatshirts, smartphone covers, an exclusive t-shirt designed by Dapper Dan Shonen of IDW Comics fame, and more on the way. All proceeds go towards our servers, so this remains the only ad you hear on the show. Go to GhostbustersHQ.net slash shop to get yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Hey there, fellow conductors of the Metaphysical Examination, and welcome to the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrobit Podcast, the first one of 2019. Very exciting, 501. That's where we're starting over with year five. That's why the numbers went up that way. That's what happens. But hey, this week on the show, we're going to be doing a Tobin's Audio Guide. It's basically our Cliff's Notes version of a uh, Ghostbusters topic. This week, we're going to be talking about the Ghostbusters Firehouse. It's history and its importance coming up. Stay tuned. Still Playing With Toys presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. So free. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the keymaster? Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. Oh, we have fun. Woo! Well, hey there, everybody. This is uh, Troy. Welcome to uh, episode 501, the first uh, true podcast uh, here on the Interdimensional Crossrip of 2019. Very cool. Very excited to be bringing this to you guys. Um, it seems that people really enjoyed our first Tobin's audio guide where we talked about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and his uh, impact and why he's so beloved and what, what made this character tick and where he came from. So we thought that we would do another uh, one of these Tobin's audio guides on something else that's kind of near and dear to people's hearts. Um, and uh, I know if you've seen the episode description, you're like, Troy, why are you playing Koi? We already know what you're talking about. And it's not a character. How is it a character that's near and dear to people's hearts? But yes, I would wager the Ghostbusters headquarters, the Ghostbusters firehouse, which... Uh, really quickly um, became one of the fan favorite item or not item I guess uh, aspect of the Ghostbusters franchise uh, I, I would argue that the Ghostbusters firehouse is as important of a character as any of the others and uh, I, I'm going to get into that I'm going to get into that when we talk about the history of the firehouse we're going to talk about the filming locations it's going to be a whole lot of fun uh, so stick with us here we go with Tobin's audio guide to the Ghostbusters Firehouse. The Firehouse was in an alley near Mott and Pell, in that area where Chinatown kind of butts up against the city, state, and federal court buildings around Foley Square. Good, thought Stans. If they arrest us, we won't have far to go. Venkman was scanning the old structure from several angles, doing the geometry of entrances and exits, escape routes, and strong points. He glanced at Mrs. Scott, the real estate rep who brought him out to see it, figuring ways to get her to knock down the price. Shall we go in? Assuredly, Venkman replied. Lead the way. A sign hung precariously from the brick front. Engine Company 93. Stance gave it a dubious look, then nudged Spangler, who was again tapping buttons on his calculator. You know, we may not have to go all that far to look for ghosts. Good, Egon mumbled. The garage bay was knee-deep in dust and discarded equipment. The windows were broken, and here and there tiny red rat eyes peeped from behind a missing board, or from a darkened corner. Stance and Spangler had disappeared into the building's upper reaches, and could be heard stumbling around. 
kicking over the leavings of a century of firemen. Venkman did a mental estimate on the garage. The engine bay was long enough for an emergency vehicle of some sort and an outer office and reception area, provided no one got excited and drove through it. The basement would serve for equipment storage and Stance's containment grid, and they could live upstairs. Venkman took a deep breath and sneezed. Gesundheit, Mr. Venkman. Thank you, Dust, and that's Dr. Venkman. The dust didn't seem to bother her. She probably spent so much time in abandoned buildings that she learned to thrive on it. Well, besides this, you've got the basement, a substantial work area in the rear, sleeping quarters and showers on the next floor, and a full kitchen and laundry on the top level. And closets? Has it got closets? It's 10,000 square feet total. Spangler appeared specter-like in the cellar stairwell, holding up his calculator like a sacramental offering. 9,642.55 square feet, to be precise. Mrs. Scott frowned at Spangler. What is he, your accountant? May I present the eminent doctor of physics, Egon Spangler, Mrs. Scott? I never shake hands, Spangler said quickly. Asthmatic transference of bacteria, parasitic corruption, nasty. Charmed, I'm sure. She turned back to Venkman. So now then, what do you think? Venkman thought it was perfect, but he had no intention of tipping his hand too soon. Uh, this might do, I don't know. It just seems kind of pricey for a unique fixer-upper opportunity, don't you think? We're trying to keep our costs down. You know how it is when you're starting a new company. Uh, yes, I know. What are you calling your business? Ghostbusters, Venkman said coolly. The name had come to him in the middle of the night, a flash of inspiration, and he was rather proud of it. Oh, well, um, this place is perfect for... it. Perfect, Spangler echoed sarcastically. It needs a new floor, rats have been gnawing, the wiring, the plumbing shot, it looks like hell, probably in violation of at least a dozen building codes, and the neighborhood's like a demilitarized zone. I think... Geronimo! rang a scream from above. The fire pole gave a terrible shudder, and Stance came sliding into view, hitting the floor with an impact that must have given half the rats in the building cardiac arrest. Wow! This place is great! I love this pole! Can we move in tonight? Mrs. Scott gave Venkman and Spangler a toothy smile. I think... I think we'll take it, Venkman sighed. Stance, you dingbat. This had better work. So obviously that uh, excerpt that I just read from the, uh, th th that's from the novelization that was done by Mueller, not uh, the one th that Chris really loves to point out, uh, which was the UK version, uh, which was done by Milne. Uh, it changed quite a bit from the filmed uh, screenplay and what you saw on screen. Uh, a lot of the dialogue in there changed, of course, the... The name of the firehouse was never shown, uh, that whole engine company 93, all of that kind of went out the, the window. But I loved that introduction in the, um, the novelization, and, and I think this is going to be kind of a, a traditional thing now, because in the last Tobin's audio guide, um, that passage from the, the novelization works so well as an introduction. But so let's, let's talk about, well, okay, here's something that I think is kind of common knowledge to a lot of Ghostbusters fans, so bear with me, but for those of you who are not aware, the firehouse that was seen in the Ghostbusters films, Ghostbusters 1 and 2, um, and even, well, the new Answer the Call movie kind of did something different, but we'll talk about that later. Um, in the two original Ghostbusters films, the Ghostbusters firehouse 
were actually filmed in two separate locations on opposite sides of the country. Now, the exteriors of the firehouse were filmed in New York City at the Hook and Ladder Number 8, which is located at 14 North Moore Street, while all of the interiors of the firehouse were filmed inside the downtown Los Angeles uh, Fire Station 23, which is located at 225 East 5th Street. That's Fire Station 23, which uh, it's it's been long abandoned and we're going to get into that. But both firehouses are very similar, and it's kind of a miracle that the production was able to find two nearly identical firehouses uh, in, in the same configurations, the same styles on both coasts. Um, so what this ended up doing was New York City... Uh, production costs and logistics and things just filming on the island of Manhattan is is a tremendous pain. It's a tremendous cost. Um, there's a lot of public eyes, prying eyes. Even back in 1983, when they were filming the original Ghostbusters, it was still an issue. There were still a lot of people on the island of Manhattan, and as you you will hear countless times on commentaries and interviews, especially with Joe Medjuk, they had to shut down very busy streets in order to film Ghostbusters. So it was. It was kind of a pain, and they couldn't film for that long uh, in certain locations. So what this did is it minimalized how much time they had to spend at the firehouse in New York City, and then they could spend as much time as they wanted on the interiors in in Los Angeles because, again, something else we'll get into, uh, the neighborhood is like a demilitarized zone where Fire Station 23 is. They didn't have to worry about prying eyes and and all of that stuff. So... um, so, you know, I, I guess what, what I'm saying is that that allowed free reign, full reign of a firehouse uh, in Los Angeles. Now, the other thing is that the hook and ladder number eight in New York City uh, was and still is a working firehouse. Again, Fire Station 23 in Los Angeles, uh, long decommissioned, long abandoned. We'll get into that history shortly here. So uh, it's kind of tough to film in an interior of a working fire station, especially at a place as busy as New York City. Um, so I guess let's let's focus on Fire Station 23 first. Let's talk about the interiors, and then we can talk about Hook and Ladder number 8 and all of the exteriors, which uh, has become nerd mecca to a lot of people. Fire Station 23 in Los Angeles was absolutely camera-ready. Uh, the minute that the production moved in, they were able to set up shop and start filming. And, and I don't mean that in a good way. And usually when you say that in production uh, and something is camera-ready, you go, oh my god, it's brilliant, it's perfect, I don't have to touch anything. Um, Fire Station 23 had been decommissioned, abandoned, uh, overrun by cobwebs and dust and uh, decay and um, just neglect. Uh, so according to Don Shea's Making Ghostbusters, the abandoned Fire Station was completely completely covered in filth. It was a total mess, um, but it was perfect for the original introduction of the, the fire station. As we read in that passage from the novel, this place had to be a dump, and it was. So the production was able to move in, uh, set up our, all their cameras, uh, block the shots, and immediately they can, they can get off and, and running. I will say a quick glance at the production call sheets does show that they had to add a little bit of like cobwebs and things like that. Um, they were concerned about debris. They cautioned the crew to be very careful while filming there because they weren't sure what conditions they would encounter. Um, again, the building had been uh, pretty much vacant for 20 years. So they were concerned about structural integrity and things like that. Um, they also supplemented some of the cobwebs in the fire station with movie magic, uh, which on the call sheet, if you take a look at it, uh, it says that there's a warning to the crew not to smoke inside the location because the cobwebs were highly flammable. 
Um, not that again, in this day and age, uh, production crews, they're not allowed to smoke on set to begin with, but you know, Hey, it's the 1980s. It was totally different. So, uh, when it came time, all right, the Ghostbusters move in, they obviously have to, uh, renovate the place. They have to clean stuff up. All those cobwebs and the dust and the decay has to go away. It turns into the lovely garage bay and all of the interiors that we see in the original Ghostbusters films. Um, and that fell upon production designer, John DeCure, who took the garage bay of fire station 23, uh, created a 3d miniature mock-up, uh, you know, before the days of, of SketchUp and CAD and things where you could do everything in the computer. He actually built a physical miniature model, which you can see a great photo of in the making Ghostbusters book. If, if you're lucky enough to have that. Um, but that was his way to visualize where they would need to build enhancements. You know, Venkman's office, that whole wall that kind of divides the garage bay in half. If you were to walk into fire station 23, uh, you would see another door. The door opens up to both sides of the street, uh, presumably, you know, to make the fire trucks uh, easier to pull in and out. Um, they completely divided that garage bay off. They built a whole wall there and that became Venkman's office. And then right in front of that was Janine's uh, desk and, and that whole reception area that was mentioned in the novelization. So that all fell on John DeCure to create that. Um, so in, in making Ghostbusters, Joe Medjuk says of the building, quote, the firehouse in Los Angeles is a huge place, three stories high. And all of the scenes that were supposed to take place in the firehouse were actually filmed in the firehouse. None of that was done in the studio. When the script says basement of the firehouse, we were actually in the basement of the firehouse. Though John DeCure added lots of things to dress the place, most of the essential elements were already there. The building itself happens to be in a really crummy section of town, which is used a lot for filming. We were running into the Hill Street Blues crew all the time. Now, I realize to a lot of our younger listeners, Hill Street Blues, uh, that that joke that Joe Magic is making there, that kind of falls on deaf ears. But uh, Hill Street Blues was the, the gritty... Um, you know, NYPD blue CSI of its day, uh, and, and depicted, you know, the, the, the streets, uh, as being a dangerous and, and disturbing place filled with crime and, and dangerous people. Um, that is actually how Skid Row was. Now they are kind of cleaning up Skid Row. There is a, a very valiant effort that's taking place to help with the homelessness. And, uh, there is a hotel right around the corner from fire station 23, which, uh, is like something out of a movie. If you drive past or, uh, the, the couple times that I've been to fire station 23, I would park. <laughs> this is ill-advised. I would not suggest doing this. I would park in front of this hotel because uh, it had metered parking. So I could park there and, and be there for an hour and then leave. That's exactly where, um, uh, not so good things happen. Uh, there are people hanging out of the windows, uh, soliciting you for drugs and, uh, and all sorts of stuff. We don't really need to get into it. Um, but you know, the, the fire station itself is right smack dab in the middle of this skid row. Um, to the point where the, the couple times that I went back in 2000, boy, I want to say it was 2002, 2003, um, I was sitting waiting for the caretaker to come and open the doors. We were working on renovating it back then and it all it's, we won't get into that, but, uh, there were a couple of, of people that were just hanging out in front of, uh, the building on the sidewalk and, uh, homeless people, super nice. I, I, I struck up a conversation with one of them. He had these peanut butter crackers, you know, like the, the pack of six Ritz crackers with peanut butter in them. And, uh, he's like, Hey, you look like you're hungry and you don't know these. I'm like, no way, man. It's, it's, it's totally cool. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, just that's the kind of neighborhood it is. It's, um, 
it it was camera ready. It was a demilitarized zone. And again, they're they're cleaning it up, which is nice because they're also going to be cleaning up Fire Station 23. But more on that in a second. Let's first talk about uh, Fire Station 23 being a filming location because it has popped up in numerous films and television shows. It was in Big Trouble in Little China, The Mask, uh, Flatliners, especially in the 1980s and leading up to the early 90s. It was a it was a hot spot for filming because the location scouts and the production designers in Los Angeles knew that it was a great place to film. It had a great look on camera. Now, unfortunately, as we will find out in a second here, all of that filming stopped in the 1990s. And uh, well, so let's let's talk about the history of the building because we'll we'll lead into why that filming stopped. So, Fire Station Number 23 was built in 1909, same year as the Tunguska Blast, as if you recall. Uh, for an approved cost of $35,000. The government uh, funded it at $35,000, and uh, it took a year and $53,000 to actually create this fire station. It was big. It was the the crown jewel of the fire community here. Uh, It opened its doors and was a very successful and and very busy fire station uh, until it was decommissioned in November of 1960. The good news is because it was built in 1909, this is America where things are not any older than 1910, 1920. That's what our history goes to. Um, It was declared a national monument, which was great news. Kind of. In 1966, they declared Fire Station Number 23 a national monument, but that's what began the building's decades of languish because nobody knew what to do with it. It's an historical monument. Uh, but 1966 leading into like the 1970s was really when that neighborhood took a turn for the worse. That's when um, the the homeless uh, population exploded. Uh, that's when drugs and crime, especially in the downtown Los Angeles area, really picked up. Um, downtown became it became something that people were moving away from, especially in Los Angeles. There were already was a big sprawl, obviously, because Los Angeles itself is a ridiculous size and uh, people were moving away from downtown. Uh, you didn't want to be downtown because it was dangerous. It was gross. It was uh, not desirable. Uh, you want to live that sweet life in the beautiful San Fernando Valley, as, as Dr. Venkman points out. So uh, here we are in the 1970s. This building has been now abandoned about 10 years um, and they can't quite figure out what to do with it. They want to turn it into a fire museum, but why have a fire museum in the middle of, of this crime alley, (laughs) you know, who would want to go visit it? Uh, they talked about turning it into some sort of a, a visitor center or a shelter, uh, to kind of help reinvigorate the area and, and help with the homeless population. Um, but because it was a historical monument, nobody could quite decide on the best way to do that and retrofit it for multiple people. And it, it just was, it, it was kind of caught in the bureaucracy, that's 1970. Think about Ghostbusters filming in 1983, and it was the second major motion picture to be filmed in that building. So it sits from 1960 until about 1983, 20 plus years of nobody knowing what to do with this building. Uh, and and caretakers, and I, I put caretakers in air quotes that you can't see, um, taking care of the building. These are the people that these filming fees are going to, and they're accepting them as donations uh, to keep the building up and make sure that the building doesn't fall apart. That money is disappearing and obviously not being used for the building's upkeep because we will soon find out that they're going to be doing renovations this February uh, of this year. 
um, at a great cost because there's asbestos and the roof is caving in and there's structural damage and it's it's in really, really bad shape. They weren't putting all of these huge exorbitant uh, do- donations, again in air quotes, uh, into the building itself. The, the caretakers here are kind of making out like bandits. And it's funny because the caretakers are kind of nothing more than squatters inside the building. Uh, and it's it's changed at least in years leading up to the building completely being boarded off and being declared unsafe, uh, where the city of Los Angeles took over that role. And so when, when filming companies would move in there to shoot, they would actually be paying the city of Los Angeles um, that, that filming feed uh, because there were people taking advantage of it. These, these huge costs were costing so much that the productions had decided it's not worth it, man. We can't pay this amount of money to film at one location. And what's it going to, we can't keep filming at this building because it's just, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And we have to bring in generators cause there's no power and we have to bring in security because it's unsafe. Um, and we can't put the crew on the second floor or the third floor because we're concerned that the weight will make those floors collapse. Um, just completely undesirable as the location to the point where it was cheaper instead of paying whatever that donation donation was to the building, it was cheaper for them to recreate the look of fire station 23 on a soundstage, which, um, David L. Snyder, who is the production designer on Blade Runner and a lot of movies that you love, uh, back to school, uh, he rebuilt fire station 23 on the CBS Radford lot for the movie days of wrath, which was a Lawrence Fishburne movie took place. There was, it was kind of reminiscent of a lot of things that we've seen filmed in fire station number 23, uh, where there needed to be a a gunfight and explosions and all the stuff that you absolutely positively cannot do in that building. Um, and it was just, it was, it was more, it was cost effective. It was safer. It was a whole lot better to do that on a soundstage. Um, so what happens is the building completely gets boarded up. It's, it's, sits abandoned once again nobody wants to film there nobody wants to take responsibility for it they can't figure out what to do with it because the neighborhood is so bad and it sits it sits again from about 2000 i think six or seven was the last time that they really let people in there to film until this coming february so again another 10 years where the building just sits and people are picking it apart and their squatters going in and terrible things are happening to it um but luckily uh, as of this February, they're going to be turning it into an art center. Again, the neighborhood around that that area is being reinvigorated. Um, for better or for worse, there are some pros and cons to that because it's it's being gentrified. It's becoming desirable for uh, younger. Uh, I, I I don't want to say millennials because uh, there it, it's it's kind of a wider generation gap than that. But it's becoming it's becoming cool to live in downtown Los Angeles again, and uh, therefore. That neighborhood is is uh, keeping up. So, uh, a long storied history, and I'm trying to keep things brief here. That's why it's it's kind of scattered. But uh, anyway, Fire Station 23 will rise again from the ashes, uh, which is wonderful news for the building itself. Uh, let's take a, a quick second here to talk about Ghostbusters 2, because when it came time to film the sequel to the movie. They utilized the two buildings. Once again, this is 1989, so obviously, uh, even though it was five years later, they were able to. Um, you know, deal with the same uh, caretaker, uh, <laughs> utilize a lot of the same things that they had done in 1983 for filming, because uh, even to this day, some of the things that John DeCure and his production staff put up uh, are still in that building, which is crazy. Um, and especially when it came to Ghostbusters 2, 
they ended up utilizing the captain's quarters on an upper floor, which became the apartment where Ray and Winston go and, uh, you know, try to surprise kids that were hoping for He-Man. Um, but what they did is they put in uh, curtains and uh, you'll see the fireplace and the mantle, which is a, a big centerpiece of that captain's quarters. Um, but they retrofitted all of that stuff. They put the wallpaper in and, and all of the furnishings. <laughs> Again, when I visited in 2000, whenever that was, 2003, all of those furnishings were still up, which is very funny because those curtains are fake. They're not full curtains. They don't close <laughs> completely <laughs> over the windows. Totally not practical. Um, but uh, it, again, just sort of indicative of how this building was not really well kept up. Um, but anyway, so uh, let's 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 throw to a clip uh, here. This is uh, I want to talk about Hook and Ladder number eight because that's a lot of fun too. But uh, this is from the 1996 DVD commentary. This is Ivan Reitman, Harold Ramis, and Joe Medjuk talking about the firehouse uh, the very first time that you see it on screen. So here they are. The company. All this stuff was uh, Ivan and I both had the idea that we wanted to see how the Ghostbusters got to be Ghostbusters and yeah, I all always, this material. I always thought the movie should be a going into business story. You know, it's three really smart guys who go into some business. It's just a very unusual business. So I like the idea of having to go to a bank, finding a place, dealing with a realtor, fixing the place up. I thought these were all things that an audience could relate to. More creative geography. This is an actual old firehouse in Los Angeles, but the exterior is an actual in-use firehouse uh, in New York. Coincidentally, built the same year, 1912, both firehouses. So that's why it's one reason it's a great match, I think, too. And... And it's true, as soon as we did see this poll, Danny said we have to use it. <laughs> it wasn't just a moment in the movie. One thing about starting as in a university setting, uh, I think it helped bring the audience from a place of what's Reality. real to what's unreal. The credibility was established in the beginning. Yeah, we used to call that the domino theory of reality. <laughs> as long as you took people step by step through a series of credible choices, you could start to believe that this sort of stuff can happen. And this is a, a big moment also in the film, which is first time we're going to see the Ghostbusters in their, uh, in their uniform and in action as, as Ghostbusters. This really was fun. This is also back in L.A. We got to slide down the pole. <laughs> yes, of course they're serious. You know, one thing about the movie, we only did like three weeks in New York? Yeah. Uh, four, four or five weeks, that but many, still. Was it? Yeah, yeah, four weeks at least, but yeah, four weeks in New York. But it really, I think uh, New Yorkers have sort of really take it as one of the great New York movies. Yeah. And it, because it really captures both the spirit and the feel of the city. We got one. Is where a song by the Busboys begins? Um, I always, I always thought that if the movie was going to be successful, the moment that the Ghostbusters walk into this hotel, that's the first time we really see them in full regalia, um, that in a perfect world, the audience should applaud. And uh, wonderfully enough, that really happened yeah. at most of the screenings. But I remember also, I mean, the first time you saw the three of them together walking down the street in New York in yeah. their outfits. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk boy, about that when we get to that, that. shot. <laughs> All right, now let's talk about um, Ghostbusters Nerd Mecca, the hook and ladder number eight in Tribeca. Um, let's start. There's a little bit of a, a, con a, not a controversy, but some discrepancy here. So uh, Wikipedia, 
accredits the selection of hook and ladder number eight in Tribeca to Dan Aykroyd. Uh, and they say that he knew and loved this particular station from his time uh, spent living in New York City, working on Saturday Night Live. If you've listened to, there was a great interview with um, Jamie Lee Curtis on uh, the ID10T podcast, where she talked about Dan Aykroyd and uh, and John Belushi would just go around New York City buying buildings because uh, in the 1970s, uh, New York City real estate was super cheap back then. Um, they would just go and they would buy buildings. Uh, the, the blues bar that, that Dan and John owned, um, they purchased because they couldn't actually go to a bar. They were too famous to go to a bar in Manhattan and just have a good time. Uh, so they bought their own bar and turned it into the exclusive club that became the, the after party zone for Saturday night live. Um, so that is the Wikipedia story. However, uh, making ghostbusters attributes the credit to finding hook and ladder number eight to Michael C. Gross who was on a location scout of New York for the film. And he says that hook and ladder number eight was right around the corner from where he was saying in the book, he says, quote, now that's the kind of firehouse we were looking for, but I figured there were probably a dozen firehouses just like that in New York. And when we did our location scouting, we'd look at them all. Curiously, that one turned out to be the perfect one. End quote. And it was, I mean, if you think about ghostbusters, if you think about, uh, proton packs and the ecto one and slimer and stay puffed chances are one of those those things that pops into your head mr stance uh, is the firehouse itself and and hook and ladder number eight has this wonderful look to it um it has aged incredibly graceful gracefully um even though it is a, a fire station that is being utilized day in and day out in new york city it has been kept up and they just finished a, a, a six million dollar restoration of it that made it look even better but um let's talk so it was built in 1903 all right so fire station 23 built in 1909 Hook and Ladder number eight built in 1903. Very similar in, in time period here. And that's probably why they look uh, very similar too. It was probably the same uh, architecture. Uh, a lot of times, especially in, in that era, a lot of these things were built from kits, for lack of a better word. Uh, you know, gas stations all look the same because they were built from the same kit, from the same plans. Uh, all of the Richfield uh, gas stations look the same. Um, but what is funny, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, Hook and ladder number eight used to be twice as wide because it used to have two garage bays. It had two bay doors. The 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 second uh, on the the far right, the one that was closest to Varick Street, which is the the cross street that you see in every wide shot and every photo that everybody takes. Uh, there's there's a really great police station right across the street from it too that makes it into tons of films and TV as well. Um, but Varick Street. Uh, was widened in 1913. So they built this uh, wonderful firehouse in 1903. And then 10 years later, they need to widen Varick Street. And what do they do? They lop off half of the building. <laughs> and so 10 years, this it's a, a baby in building years. Uh, and they decide, you know, let's cut it in half. Let's widen the street. We don't need that second garage bay. And thus is born the firehouse that we know and love today. Now, what's curious about that is uh, 1903, that two garage bay door um, would not have matched what they were uh, planning on filming at Fire Station 23. Obviously, that's a single garage bay door. And to my knowledge, that was only a, a single bay. It was never a double bay. So um, fortuitous that they decided to cut it in half 10 years after it was built. 
Anyway, uh, hook and ladder number eight, wonderful fire station, wonderful firefighters. Um, of course, they were uh, instrumental first responders uh, during the attacks on September 11th on the World Trade Centers, um, and and a few uh, firefighters uh, uh, injured and perished uh, from that company. Uh, very sad, and there is a memorial there to them uh, to this day. That that. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure if they've updated that or if they've done anything with the restoration. I haven't seen that, but, uh, recently what happened is they spent $6 million to restore the building. Um, much like fire station 23, it was a historical monument. They were trying to figure out what they were going to do with this building. Um, was it going to continue being a fire station? It's historical. Should we turn it into some sort of a museum? Should it become a, a, a tourist trap? Uh, what should we do with it? Um, and lo and behold, you know, it does service the Tribeca area and it is very vital to have these fire stations in operation uh, across the island of Manhattan. So uh, they de- they decided to put the money into the hook and ladder number eight to uh, bring it up to date, to reinforce the, the, the basement and, and just make sure that this building thrives for decades to come while also providing the facilities and the support and everything that the firefighters need. Uh, to make it happen. So uh, very cool. And again, the the exterior of the building, because it's a historical monument, they took painstaking care to make sure that it looks wonderful. The brickwork did not change. They didn't replace any of the original. um, they, They were very... It's like when uh, historical buildings, I know here in Pasadena, you have to use the same um, materials and things of the era, and you have to really just make sure that you're you're being true to when this building was originally uh, designed, and they've done that. Uh, the brickwork looks wonderful. They've redone the bay door. It actually it looks a whole lot more like it does in the movie for the longest time, uh, Ghostbusters. Uh, they utilized a different bay door. And when Paul Feig and his company moved in uh, for the 2016 film, they replaced that bay door for for filming just to make it look more like the Ghostbusters firehouse that people were familiar with. Uh, so funny enough, when they restored the house, they gave it a very similar bay door with those wonderful, awesome uh, lattice windows. It's very cool. Um, so uh, before I move on, I have to talk about the Hook and ladder number eight firefighters, the firefighters, the staff, the people there are some of the friendliest folks. They're good natured about us. Ghostbusters nerds always descending, uh, on, on their building on a daily basis. Again, it's a working firehouse, but yet if you stand, uh, when I, when I went the first time I went and took my photos and then I stood across the street and I just sat for like, I don't know, maybe a half hour. It, it, it seemed like forever, but it was probably only a half hour just watching people, streams of people coming up and taking photos and, you know, pointing at the Ghostbusters logo that's down uh, on the sidewalk or when the doors are open, you know, looking at the Ghostbusters uh, stuff that's on the, the wall. Um, it's it's a tourist trap. And uh, despite Despite the fact uh, that we want to get our photos, uh, they do have to go out there and and fight fires and be um, amazing first emergency responders. Um, But they're really great about stuff. If you go into the building, generally they're usually pretty cool. Don't walk in there like you own the place. You know, make sure that you're very um, respectful and uh, and polite. Um, But they're very they they tolerate our photos. They tolerate our requests for tours. They sell T-shirts and patches if you ask them nicely. They're just awesome people. If you're in the New York area, obviously if you're a Ghostbusters fan, you're going to go check the building out, but um, be very nice to those those folks because they're very nice in return if, if you are. Now let's talk the, the firehouse's impact. Um, as I alluded to earlier, the firehouse had an immediate impact on fans, especially kids. And um, I, I don't know what exactly 
makes that happen. I mean, maybe it's the thought of our heroes operating out of this three-story iconic building, which sparks your imagination, um, especially if you owned Kenner's Real Ghostbusters Fire Station, which had the pole and the slime grate in the ceiling and all that cool stuff. It was, it retailed for 50 bucks. I was not uh, one of those fans that was able to have it as a kid, but I made my own out of my dad's siding that he bought for the house. That's a totally different story. Um, but, uh, I did get my hands on one later and it was missing the no ghost sign out front and it still is missing the no ghost sign funny enough. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, the, the fire station, I, I think there was something about it that just sparked all of our imaginations. We all wanted to be a part of that. And maybe there's, there's a part of that too. It's like treehouse fulfillment. There's that you always want to have a clubhouse. You want to, as a, as a kid, you want to build a treehouse because that's your safe space. That's your cool place to hang out. Um, and I think that the Ghostbusters firehouse sort of became that for us as kids. I, I know when I built my treehouse in Colorado as a kid, um, I took a giant PVC pipe and it hurt like crazy, but I used that as the Ghostbusters pole. Like I, I threw that in between the branches and I would jump out onto that and I would slide down it. And I felt like I was the, I was one of the Ghostbusters. And I feel like again, because wish fulfillment is such a huge integral part of Ghostbusters that any of us can be a hero. Any of us can take this technology and go out and bust ghosts. Um, the fire station is instrumental and in, just as, as the Ecto one is. Um, so I think that's part of it. Now, the funny thing is that the firehouse kind of sparked, hmm, not a trend because I, I'm struggling to find more than a couple, but uh, you know, uh, properties, especially in the eighties latched on to not only the Ectomobile being, uh, you have to have a car. He, Batman's got his Batmobile. The Ghostbusters have the Ecto one everybody's got to have a car. So, you know, you've got Knight Rider with Kit and all of the, the Dukes of Hazard with the General Lee. Um, all of these, these cars become integral parts of these big properties. Um, but then also a headquarters, a base becomes a huge part of everything. You know, uh, Ninja Turtles, there's the sewer or later the subway platform. Um, Mask had the gas station, uh, Castle Grayskull, um, I, I don't really feel like they had the same impact. And again, we're biased. You're listening to a Ghostbusters podcast. So obviously a lot of things don't have the same impact, but, um, you know, as an adult, I want to have that no ghost logo sign sticking out from like a, a clubhouse or an apartment or something. When I had a dorm room, I wanted to have that, like that lit sign, uh, sticking out of the dorm room. And, and I can't explain that. Um, and yes, you know, Ninja Turtles, we all think that we could have that cool, uh, sewer den, uh, where it's our, our escape that we live rent free. Um, but I don't know. I think it's maybe, maybe because of the design, maybe it's because it's something that kind of feels attainable, even though living in an abandoned fire station is completely unobtainable. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really lean on you guys. Why do you think that the Ghostbusters firehouse has, has endured and become such a living, breathing part of our fandom? Why is it something that we have all attached ourselves to? I really uh, hit up that voicemail, hit up our social media, because I, I want to know what is it about the firehouse that you love? What, what continues to make the firehouse a huge part of your fandom and that you, uh, if, if, if it is something that you would love to do, if you would love to live in a firehouse, I would still love to live in a firehouse. My wife and daughter, I don't know if they would be down with that, but I, I would love to do that. What, what do you think 
makes the fire station such a beloved character, hit us up, let us know. Don't wait another minute, pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, 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 go stoppers. I'm sorry, we'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our calling line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. And Twitter accounts. Friends is dead. No kidding, just give me the address. Search Facebook for The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. I just want to get back close again. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Once again, our call in line is 4702 GBHQIC. That'll do it. Thanks very much, Ray. Alright, so there it is. There is a Tobin's audio guide on the Ghostbusters Firehouse. Uh, just uh, Again, these are very short. We're trying to keep them to 30 minutes. This one's a little bit longer than 30 minutes, but uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this. And uh, we, we have a few planned of these in the future, but if there is a topic or, or a particular um, character or piece of equipment or something that you would love to hear, just a, a, a kind of Cliff's Notes version like we're doing in these, these uh, Tobin's Audio Guide, please hit us up, let us know, make some requests. We're, we certainly will take requests because we love doing these episodes. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, next week, uh, we will be back with uh, the regular scheduled program, regularly, regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> hey, it's the new year, everybody. Happy new year. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so Chris will be back. We'll be talking about all of the latest news. Uh, of course, there was some news that we talked about uh, in a, a quick news update a couple weeks ago that uh, I'm sure Chris uh, is is very uh, anxious and chomping at the bit to, uh, to chat with me about. And uh, I as well. I think we're going to have a really great conversation here leading into things. Uh, and we also have uh, the Ghostbusters Sanctum of Slime one shot coming up. So that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. So big, big programming coming here in 2019 on the cross rip. And I know I've mentioned it several times before, but with uh, June Fan Fest right around the corner and whatever advance uh, notice we're going to get in terms of uh, 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 programming and guests and all that sort of stuff, we're going to have a lot of fun ramping into that and, and getting you guys prepared for for that convention. And then during that convention and afterwards, I'm sure there's going to be a whole lot to talk about. So uh, busy, it's going to be a busy 2019 here on the Crossrip is what I'm saying. So stick with us. Uh, for those of you that are new, welcome. We we love having you. Uh, for those of you that have been listening to us now, this is our fifth year. Uh, thank you so much again for all of your uh, support. We love you guys. And uh, next week, we'll see you on the other side. Who you gonna call? We Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip. Visit us at protoncharging.com, ghostbustershq.net, and stillplayingwithtoys.net. They used to be one of my two favorite shows. Anything you're doing is bad. I just want to let you know that. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. Oh. Next week, though, Careless Pets. We're so good.